the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Please go to ProAmericareport.com, ProAmericareport.com, and check out there. You can sign up for the Daily Wink, the Daily Wink. You can also track down all of our segments from the show at ProAmericareport.com, Ed Martin's Pro-America Report. Great to be together, great to be together. As always, uh, just fascinating times. You know, later on in the program, it's better to be, I tell you, we have such a great team. You know, Noah, our technical director, keeps it because you don't know how crazy I make him with the schedule and things. It's hard to even describe it. He keeps it all sounding good. Uh, Joanna, our booker and producer out in uh, St. Louis. So she's got people booked. We've got Carrie Severino. Carrie Severino, I think she clerked for Justice Thomas, maybe Justice Scalia. But she's going to be on the show in a few minutes, and she's going to tell us about what this ruling meant in Title Seven, And we'll talk about that in a moment, too, because it's part of my wink. But she'll be with us. And then uh, we'll also uh, cover a lot more, including polls. Polls, 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 and why they're wrong, 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 or how they're wrong. Let me say it that way. But anyway, but more important to be together and talk about... What you need to know, the wink, if you go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the email, you get the daily wink, 5 a.m. Pacific time, ProAmericaReport.com. The wink, what you need to know, what you need to know. Well, what you need to know today, it's this. We're not going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. If you remember, many of you, some of you, some of the listeners are too young. Some of you may not have been involved in this way, but I bet a lot of you were. The Tea Party movement that began in 2009, I was involved with the Tea Party that started in St. Louis, Missouri, and Bill Hennessy was a driving force, and Jim Hoft, and a few others, and that thing got going, and it was awesome. It was one of the best in the country, and we did a lot of great stuff together. Everybody had a way that they went on to contribute, but the underlying sort of thesis, the theme, that's better, theme, we didn't have thesis, we're not that smart, but the theme we had was we're not going to take it. And there's that famous song. I always forget who sings it. Noah will probably tell me in my ear. You know, we, you know that we're, this, we're not going to take it uh, rock anthem that was, uh, was popular. Um, is it Twisted Sister? I don't even know if it's Twisted Sister, but somebody like that. Um, that uh, who? I don't know if it's the who. Anyway, my, my wife loved that song. It's Twisted Sister? Okay, thank you. Noah just told me it's Twisted Sister. Well, so we're not going to take it. It became a kind of theme. And if it didn't become a theme, it became a sort of underlying gut feeling. That we looked up and saw the system was rigged and the, and they were bailing out this group and they were bailing out that group and too big to fail for the banks, but we're just going to pin you to the wall and run you over roughshod if you're the, uh, if you're a homeowner or if you're a, 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 a mortgage employee down the line. You know, I don't know if you know this, the CEOs of those big mortgage companies, they got bailed out and, and went off to the Caymans and a whole bunch of people went to jail down on the lines. My point here is we're not going to take it became this theme. It came a, became a feeling, too. And here's where we are now. In this country, we're watching. I don't know if it's a silent majority. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the numbers are. I just know that there's too many of us, and I'm meeting them. I'm getting texts from them. I'm meeting them on the street. I went for a walk in my neighborhood today, and I met a gentleman I'd never met before, a neighbor, I guess. He's like 10 doors down. I didn't meet him before. I've only lived in the neighborhood a few years. But he said, I just said, I'm just sick of it. He said, I'm sick of it. And I'm sick of, he said, I'm sick of nobody standing up. What are we going to do about it? And so, but here's what I tell you, we're not going to take, what are we going to take? Well, two days ago, and we'll talk about it in a minute, the U.S. Supreme Court said 
After years of the U.S. Congress having debates and failing to come to consensus on how to expand the Civil Rights Act, Title VII, to include gender dysphoria or homosexuals or, you know, the lifestyle choices, the Congress was deadlocked. And the Supreme Court said, hey, we don't mind deadlocks. We're the Supreme Court. We, the black-robed oligarchs, will rule and legislate from the bench. And they decided the word sex, which used to mean male and female, now means male, female, other, this, them, they, we, all that. I don't even want to debate that stuff. I mean, I do. I will debate that stuff. But I just want to point out, why in the world is the Supreme Court doing that? And now we've got the powers that be, the powerless that be, in Seattle— meaning the mayor and the, and the chief of police, negotiating with the occupiers on whether the barriers that they need to surround their occupied territory should be concrete or plastic filled with water. I think that's or filled with sand or something. I don't know. Think about how far we've come. We're watching our cities burn. We're watching the experts go on TV and complain with a straight face that Donald Trump wants to have a rally with a thousand people or 10,000 people, but they don't say a word about the hundred thousand people gathered in X park in X city to protest uh, uh, police brutality. You, it, it, we're watching the fake news, the CNN fake news, just tell us every day what's wrong with our lives, how bad we are, how broken we are, and we're over and over again, and we're, and we're sick of it. And, and more and more Americans are looking up and they're saying, you know what, we don't have to take it. We don't have to believe the stuff that you say. We don't have to listen to it. We don't have to do it. And we can stand up to it. And I tell you, one of the things you're finding more and more, people are standing up in politics. That's true. People are standing up in politics. You know, that I think between now and November, you're going to see whatever the word is, the terms are, the silent majority. You're going to see people say, we're not going to take it and we're going to do something about it in politics. But what I want to tell you is we need what you need to know right now is we're not going to take it. People aren't going to take it. If you feel all that I just said, if you're sensing a lot of what I said, I'm just telling you this. You're not alone. In fact, you're 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 surrounded by people who agree with you. And, and you're surrounded by people who are saying, hey, we don't have to take this. We don't want to take it. We're not going to take it. What are we going to do? And here's the thing. What are we going to do? There's a political uh, uh, avenue. That's true. And that's important. And you can't, under, you can't underestimate it. It matters. But there's also a social element. There's a cultural element. There's a spiritual element. And you're seeing more of our churches. You're seeing revivals in our churches where people are saying, I'm not going to take. I'm, I'm going to remove myself from the negativity of these places and spaces and people. And I'm going to go find people who are willing, not that they have to be like me. I'm not saying that they are like me only, but they want to be like-minded in the vision of what could be, which is positivity and respect for life and honoring who we are. And especially understanding this key detail and I've said this on the, on, the, on, the, on the show earlier in the week, but I'm fine-tuning it with you along together. And that is this. It's okay to reconcile your history, personal or national, or even international, or global. I don't mind. You can reconcile your history. One of the things that, for example, the, the magic of AA, I don't mean magic, but the magical effectiveness of Alcoholics Anonymous, the effectiveness of rehab for people, the effectiveness of conversion in a religious sense, is that you reconcile your past and then you move forward. And the reconciling of our past is very necessary. There's no problem with that. I'm not someone who says only look to the future. I'm saying reconcile our past, learn from our past. We can, we can remember our past and reconcile it and then move forward. 
What you can't do is sanitize your past because you can't go back. So you can't spend your time destroying who you are and what you were and what you uh, 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 did and try to function forward. You can't destroy it. You can't sanitize it. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing with all of you to learn how to say this. But the left wants to sanitize, which is code for destroy your past, in which case you're empty because you are what your past is. You are who your friends are. Does it? It's not always good. It's not always good. That's part of the problem. That's part of life. That's part of the beauty of understanding that we can reconcile ourselves to our own failings and look forward to more positive. I mean, for me, this is a faith thing that there's a, there's a, there's a Christ part of this that fills that void for me. Other people that maybe don't have faith, you can still, you still have to function. Even the most secular, even the most secular, uh, um, uh, you know, prosperity type gospel thing still has a looking forward with positivity for who you are. That's got to be part of it. So we're not going to take it anymore that are coming up on 4th of July and we're supposed to apologize for Washington. We're supposed to apologize for Jefferson. We're supposed to join in tearing down Columbus. Well, we're not going to take it anymore. And we're also going to look for leaders culturally, spiritually, and yes, politically, who are willing to stand up for that, who are willing to stand up to that. I'll just finish by quoting the, you know, the great uh, Helen Marie Taylor, my friend, she's the chairman of the board of the organization to which I'm the head. And she, uh, she, she said this, she said, I look around and the thing that I marvel at is where are all the men who should be standing up? And she said, and she then went on and she said, I guess they don't want the confrontation. Well, if you're not, if you, if you understand that we're not going to take it anymore, you got to be willing to take some of the confrontation too. And that's the next part of what you need to do. But right now, that's what you need to know. Uh, that's where we are. Don't forget to go visit proamericareport.com. Proamericareport.com. Get signed up for the daily wink. I promise you, you will not ever, ever, ever do anything but say, man, thank God. I got a call an hour ago. A guy said, I'm reading the, the, the points on your wink today. I want to talk to you about it later. Can you call me back? I said, I can try, but I got to do some uh, radio first, but maybe later tonight. So that's what you got to do, that, ProAmericaReport.com. All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin. It's the ProAmerica Report. Be right back. This is the ProAmerica Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Visit, don't forget, visit ProAmericareport.com to uh, sign up for the daily email, but also get all these segments that you're hearing, all these interviews, like the one we're about to have uh, with the great Carrie Severino, and you can go there and listen to them and pass them on. We do them as standalones and, and audiograms, so if you want to do uh, straight up uh, uh, audio, you can do that, or video. So Carrie Severino, she's the president of the Judicial Crisis Network. Um, she's got a lot of really interesting things. I mean, one of the things is this incredible book, Justice on Trial, that she co-wrote with Molly Hemingway, which is uh, about the Kavanaugh confirmation, the future of the court, which was a bestseller and got a ton of attention, really a kind of uh, the defi- in many ways, the definitive uh, insider look at what went on. And, and that, that's worth it for sort of the history there. But she's also the Judicial Crisis Network has kind of tracked and, and supported conservative judges and the rule of law. And so with this Gorsuch, uh, the decision on the Title seven case a few days ago, Kerry is in high demand and uh, and more even better because he is a College of the Holy Cross man like I am, she clerked for Justice Clarice Thomas, so she has to be really, really good because that's, you know, that, that much proximity to Holy Cross is a big deal. So anyway, welcome, Carrie. How are you? Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. 
So, Kerry, let me tell you, let me ask you just this sort of gut check. This decision comes down, this this Title VII decision two days ago. Um, and how'd you feel about it? Feel. I know you read it then and all, but how'd you feel? You put a lot of your life into making a big argument that we're turning the court a direction. And it just was like six to three. What'd you feel? Yeah, it, it was it is definitely a, a incredibly discouraging day. You know, 2020 has been a rough year on a lot of fronts, <laughs> and this was just the latest one. So um, definitely outdoes murder hornets. But, um, you know, so it's it very discouraging to see that. Uh, and, you know, even, even with Gorsuch's overall record still being really good, he does agree more than 80% of the time with Justice Thomas more than any other member of the court. He agrees with Justice Thomas. But I think... You know, as much as I supported him, I'm not gonna not gonna lie. When I think he gets it wrong, I'm gonna call it out, and I think he got it 100% wrong in this case. Walk us through uh, the for the sort of the regular, you know, not someone who's even a lawyer, but is just following this. Walk us through basically what Gors- Justice Gorsuch had to do to get to the decision he got to. Right. So the case had to do with the interpretation of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And it, it has the language that we're also used to hearing, you know, no discrimination on the basis of race, color, national origin, religion, sex. And the question is, does that also include sexual orientation and gender identity? And it, on one level, this should be really easy. Let's see, is the language in there? Nope. And there's a whole lot of statutes out there that do include that language. There's 21 states that have statutes that say, and on the basis of sexual orientation or gender identity. There's other federal laws that have that language. So uh, the legislatures know how to how to include that in their in their non-discrimination statutes. 1964, they didn't. They they have talked about amending it since. They never have actually successfully amended it. For 50 years, courts read this law. And they said, yep, it means on the basis of sex, like are you a man or are you a woman, not on the basis of your sexual orientation. And the court, unfortunately, in the guise of a textualist decision, saying they were looking at the text, I think really did violence to textualism in a way that Justice Kavanaugh's dissent explained really well, talking about the hyper-literalism. He called it literalism versus the original meaning, because you have to read words as they were understood at the time they were used. You don't get to just take them out of context or just take the individual words out of a phrase, you know, and look up the dictionary definition of each of those and then cobble them back together. So what Gorsuch kind of said was, well, it says because of sex and uh, transgenderism and sexual orientation, that has to do with sex. You know, sex the words in sexual orientation, right? It, it's part, it has to do with sex. You can't, you're naturally inherently involving sex and therefore it's still because of sex. But what Justice Kavanaugh pointed out is what because of sex meant was clearly something different. People knew what it meant to be discriminated against women in the workplace or even discriminated against right. men in the workplace. Uh, that was a very different thing. He, I loved his example he gave of you could have a phrase like the American flag. Now, does that mean an, a flag of the country of Germany produced in an American factory? It may have a made in the USA sticker. Does that make it an American flag? <laughs> if you're hyper-literal, right. like Gorsuch was in his opinion, then you say, yep, that's an American flag. But we all know that that's not what we mean when we use that phrase. And when the phrase, because of sex, is used in the Title uh, Title Seven, everyone knew for 50 years that's not what it meant. And suddenly, you know, on Monday, it means something else. 
Yeah, and we're talking with Carrie Severino, and, and to find out more about Carrie's work and what she does, she's the president of the Judicial Crisis Network. You can go to judicialnetwork.com, judicialnetwork.com, and her book, again, is called Justice on Trial. Really worth reading about the inside story of how the Kavanaugh trial went forward, but also about the future of the court, as its title says. We're talking about Bostock versus Clayton County, this case decided two days ago, and I just want to say this, and I'll, I'll let you can di- discard this as I say it, because I want to go on to the next question, so I'm just going to say, now that now the, what Gorsuch has done is open up Title VII to the whole next set of cases and, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the allegations that sex includes now and the transgender. I mean, the litigation will go on, on and almost like Roe v. Wade. They'll be, can you parse this down and can you parse that and can you limit it? And, and, and I just find it so, uh, I find it so uh, upsetting uh, to consider. But I want to ask you, Carrie, about the future. I mean, can you read, you, you know, you clerked on the court. Can you read, is this Gorsuch kind of spreading his wings? Is he going to assume an Anthony Kennedy role? I know you're reading the tea leaves, but a lot of people are looking going, uh Oh, we've got, you know, a, a DACA case. We've got pro-life cases. Is it, is it a one-off that he and maybe chief justice Roberts are trying to do something to, you know, kind of maintain the modern sensibility of the court? I don't know. I mean, how can you put it in context for people that are going, wait, we thought we elected a, a president and a con- on a Senate to put in guys in this direction, they're not ending up there. And it seems to happen to conservatives more than it happens to liberals. A hundred percent. It doesn't, doesn't happen to liberals period. Um, look, Gorsuch had the longest, strongest record of textualism and originalism of anyone that, that was anywhere in the line for the, uh, that, that vacancy on the court. And he, as I said, his records have been very consistently with justices like justice Thomas. However, even though he does take a textual political approach, again, in this case, I think he, he just got too wrapped around the axle on, on the, this hyper-textualist notion. I hope this is a one-off. The Wall Street Journal described it as, did an alien just inhabit Justice Gorsuch's body? Because he's literally written about this in the past and said, we have to look at the original meaning, not this, you know, deconstructive version of the, that, that ends up updating more more often yeah. than actually interpreting the, the meaning. So um, at, at, I think we have to reserve judgment, but I, I'm optimistic that this is something that is a error in applying textualism. This isn't him saying, you know what, we're going to update it because we think times have just changed. Or as the Chief yeah. Justice has said, we're updating it because we just think we don't want to have to address this difficult political issue and, and strike down something constitutionally. I think that would be more worrisome. But again, we're going to have to watch for the rest of this term and frankly, maybe for a few more to see the direction that he goes. <laughs> Up until now, we've, we've had a great record on the court with him so far, though. So I, I, I do hold out hope. Yeah, uh, we're talking with Carrie Severino again, and she's president of Judicial Crisis Network, which is judicialnetwork.com. And also her book is uh, Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Court. So let me speculate on the future of the court, Carrie. Um, I, no matter what, I just buy, demo, I don't know, kind of actuarial tables in the next two years, three years, you're going you're gonna to see at least one or two vacancies on the court. What's the fight over the court look like? Can, does it almost help? You can say, well, so-and-so may be not that conservative because when they get on the court, they may do what they want. They'll be freed of the shackles of the lower court. I mean, how do you think this plays out for your experience, which is so well chronicled in justice on trial, of being knee-deep in the confirmation? Is it, is it going to make it easier, harder? Is it going to be make it more uncertain? What do you think? Well, I think the, the, uh, what, it, what it reminds us of is the importance of vetting, but also the challenges of dealing with fallible 
human beings. I mean, you've got someone whose record, again, pointed all in one direction. We remember the people, even Justice Scalia, for example, had uh, one of the worst religious freedom decisions out there in the Employment Division yeah. versus Smith that, that Congress had to go and pass a law to fix it. It was it was so off base. So every once in a while, people are going to disappoint us. The key is improving our system each time so that you get someone who's actually consistent and, and has a principled approach to the law. I think the, the, what's getting exciting each year is seeing that the younger generation that is coming up, I think, is each time more consistent, more solid in their principles than the previous one. That's why you're seeing, you know, with, I think you're seeing that trajectory in Republican nominees throughout. You had the kind of O'Connor-Kennedy era going, oh, you got Scalia, that's great. And then right. you get some people who are really squishy. You had Souter, you had, you know, now we've gone in the direction where you've got the chief justice, but then you also had Alito, who is, who, who is pretty consistent. Right. And we're moving in the right direction. I think the key is we just we cannot let up this this fight because more than ever, we need to make sure that the courts are there for the backstop when the government is not staying within its limits and uh, and trying to uh, over overturn and just overrun our constitutional system. It's unfortunately becoming a more and more popular notion that, you know, we can just take <laughs> yeah. things into our own hands when we don't like how things are going. And we need the courts there to protect us. Yeah. All right, Carrie Severino, thank you for coming on. It's judicialnetwork.com, and you'll see her writing. She's uh, quite quite often she's on TV, uh, uh, Fox, and all over the place, but also writing. And the book she uh, and Molly Hemingway wrote is Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Court. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks. Have a great day. Okay, you too. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to sign up and track all these great interviews. Be right back. This is the ProAmerica Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Get yourself signed up for the daily email there. And also, you'll find all these segments, all these interviews I do. I put them up there as standalones. You can go check it out. And our next guest is our old friend Hans von Spakovsky. He should be a co-host of the show pretty soon, Noah. He's on enough, but that's because he knows what he's talking about. He's the he's this, a senior legal fellow over at the Heritage Foundation. He's also uh, the leader of the Election Law Reform Initiative, which is what really is uh, jumping out for me these days. And welcome back, Hans. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. So, um, Hans, and I should say one of your one of your credentials, besides being an attorney and, and uh, constitutional lawyer, is having served uh, uh, on the Federal Election Commission. So you're sort of knee deep in elections and and uh, and paid attention to them professionally as well as of an interest. So let, let's start with Michigan. You have a piece that ran over at uh, the Heritage Foundation, I think, on one of their blogs, but uh, called Michigan should be should not be encouraging mail in balloting. Now, I've got my listeners paying attention to understand that mail in balloting is different than absentee balloting. Right. If you request an absentee ballot there's lots of reasons for that some of the military some of the illness that's normal mail-in balloting as uh, jay ashcroft the secretary of state of missouri said uh, a week or so ago is when you just send someone you say here's a here's a ballot you mail them uh, the, uh either ballots or uh, an application to send in their ballots and and the chicanery follows but let me ask you about this in some states and others, is there a range of mail-in balloting? I mean, are they mailing actual ballots unsolicited in some places, or do you still have to do a dance with the clerk? Uh, in five states, they have all-mail elections. That includes both Washington State and in Oregon. In those states, they simply mail an absentee or mail-in wow. ballot to every single registered voter. Um, wow. In other states... 
you have to request an absentee ballot, although some of the states have special rules. Um, they have what are called permanent absentee ballot lists. So, for example, if you are physically disabled um, in some states, you can request it once and ask to be put on a list. So thereafter, you don't have to request it anymore. They just send you the absentee ballot. I see. I see. Okay. So, what's happening in Michigan, and what's what's what are you seeing in Michigan that they're that they're doing, and that made, that made you think that, you know you better write this column and lay this out? Well, the Secretary of State there decided to send every single voter in Michigan uh, an absentee ballot request form. Um, that makes it easier to cheat because uh, you know Michigan has lots of folks on its voter rolls who shouldn't be there, and I had a graphic example of this. Uh, with a colleague that I work with, um, he hasn't lived, he and his uh, uh, siblings haven't lived in Michigan in years. In fact, he's now registered to vote in Virginia. And um, he tells me that his parents, who own a lake home up there, received in the mail absentee ballot request forms for him and his siblings because Michigan apparently thinks they still <laughs> live there. Now, wow. what does that do? It, it makes it they could easily get an absentee ballot and vote in the election, even though they don't live there anymore. And remember, um, if you live in a house, you're a Michigan resident, and you get one of those forms for somebody who used to live at your house, well, it's easy now to use that to get a ballot because, look, the ballot's got the name of that former voter and their address on that envelope right so that's going to make it easier right. if 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 you want to um if you want to commit fraud and look there's just no reason for this there's no reason we can't vote in person um when we're all going back uh you know we're all back going back out to restaurants and you know the, the country's opening up we can certainly vote if if we're able to go to the grocery store and go shopping we're talking with Hans von Spakovsky. By the way, I want to go back and ask you about Maryland and D.C. and other places where they're having this. I do want to tell you right. something on the radio so people hear about it. I had a guest on my show the other day, Idaho State Rep, and running for re-election. In Idaho, if you request uh, an absentee ballot or maybe a mail-in ballot, uh, for, for, there's a law that says that the clerk has to alert the candidates who requested that so that they can send mail to the person. And so this, my, my friend was telling me she sent mail to these people that requested it, and it came back, address unknown. In other words, somebody was gaming the system. Now, we haven't gotten to the bottom of it. So I just tell you that so that's one to remind me and you to talk about off the air, meaning there's lots of ways that irregularities can happen. But Hans, why isn't some of this making it so that we do say things? I've never really wanted to do this because I think intuitively it feels like it's not. um, I don't know. I don't want it. But why don't we say, hey, look, let's make it really easy on Election Day for you to get there. Let's make it a national holiday. I know people don't want to. There's lots of uh, breakdown on why. But if the argument is if, if you would trade me. If you said, hey, Ed, well, I'll give you election day as a national holiday and you, you know, you don't have to vote. It's not, I don't want to do mandatory voting like Australia, but it's an election a holiday. But there's no more of this uh, three week early voting. And, and because we're going to make it you vote on the day like uh, like like it always was. What is that? What's your what's your concern on that? Or is, is that a, is that something we ought to be thinking about as a way to cut short, get on offense on the argument about making it uh, making an argument for quality voting? Look, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think early voting is a bad idea. I think no-fault absentee absentee voting is a bad idea. I mean, if folks want to make it a national holiday, 
So nobody can argue, well, I just can't make it uh, because I, yeah. I've got to work that day. Uh, I, look, yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I, I, I don't actually think that's really a significant issue for that many people because polls are open 12 hours yeah. a day yeah, in yeah, most, no, in I most know, places. I know, I know. But, but, yeah. I, but I don't have a problem uh, with that. And look, you know, one of the problems with all, with all this mail-in voting is, you know, people are used to getting results very quickly at the end of Election Day. That <laughs> yeah. isn't going to happen. And that isn't going to happen with all-mail elections because processing um, absentee or mail-in ballots takes much longer than regular ballots. And it could be weeks, weeks before we find out, for example, who's been elected president if we switch to all-mail elections. Well, and yeah, you're gonna, I'm going to put you on the spot because I should know it too. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're talking with Hans von Spakowski, but uh, am I wrong that there's a constitutionally mandated date that the Electoral College has to meet? I know the left wants to throw that out. They'll make that another argument. But if you if we go November 3rd and we have, you know, California, Pennsylvania, Michigan and three other states, you know, so it's five or six key states are counting ballots in, you know, and they're still just counting. They don't have results. You could blow past the deadline of the uh, of the Electoral College. I don't I can't remember when that is. But it's maybe the first week of January. I don't know when it is. But um, but but back. Let me. I don't want to get off track because I want to make sure to get this Maryland and D.C. and mail-in balloting. Tell me what you know about that. I, I we talked off air a little bit about that. They they had huge problems. They just held their primaries, and both both the jurisdictions tried to encourage all these people to vote by absentee ballot. And in D.C., for example, they expected that would happen, so they reduced the number of open polling places from 100 to only 20. Well, there were huge lines on Election Day at, the, 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 at those polling places. Why? Because lots of the absentee ballots have been requested by voters weren't delivered by the Postal Service. They didn't get them. So instead, they went huh. to their polling places to vote and long, long, long lines because foolishly they had reduced the number of open polling places. Same thing in Maryland. In Maryland, for the primary... Lots of people had problems because the absentee ballots they had requested did not get delivered to them. Uh, we're talking with Hans von Spakovsky over at Heritage Foundation. Hans, one more question. It's the easy one. So what do we do? I mean, we're facing 120, 140 days till an election that obviously the intensity is up. There's lots of emotion. There always is. But I mean, it feels, you know, it's the summer right now. Feels intense. Feels like it's going to be close. It feels, it feels, it feels. What are we going to do? I mean, right now we're hurtling towards states, governors and legislatures making it so they're going to be harvesting ballots in California like it's strawberry season. And then down in Texas, they're going to be doing something else. But, you know, the ACLU is going to be jamming up. I mean, is there a way to to think about how to make this work in the next 120 days? Uh it's trench warfare in every state. There have been lawsuits filed in almost every state by liberal groups, by the Democratic Party, by others, trying to force all-mail elections, to try to force um, ballots to be mailed out to everybody. And so it's, there's litigation going on, and, and uh, some of it is defensive litigation. You know, Governor Newsom, for example, ordered this in California, and he's been sued by groups saying, look, you, you don't have the power to do this. So I, I don't have a clear path for you other than to tell you it's a fight in every single state um, over all of these issues. Yeah. Hmm. Well, thanks, Hans, as always. I hope you keep writing and keep getting out there because you're one of the most uh, credible and persuasive voices on this. Hans von Spakowski, I appreciate it. I'll put his piece up uh, on social media. We'll talk again soon, Hans. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
All right, we'll take a quick break. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com, sign up for the email there, and follow us on all our social media. Be right back. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Only a very few people in all of American history have had the uncanny foresight of Phyllis Schlafly. During her fight to defeat the tool of the feminists known as the Equal Rights Amendment, Phyllis made bold predictions about the direction of America. At that time, feminists called these predictions scare tactics and said Phyllis was being disingenuous in bringing them into the debates. Fifty years later, we can see who was telling the truth. Let's take a few minutes to fact-check some of the claims Phyllis was making back then. One of Phyllis Schlafly's favorite arguments against ERA was that it would, as she wrote in 1972, absolutely and positively make women subject to the draft. The issue of women registering for the draft is hotter today than ever before. A commission started as a joint effort by Senator John McCain and President Barack Obama released a report just a few months ago calling for women to be forced to register for the draft just like men. Phyllis got that one right for sure. In 1976, Phyllis wrote that, quote, ERA proponents intend for the ERA to require sex-integrated restrooms and other accommodations, end quote. It's no wonder people laughed at Phyllis for saying that one. What person in 1976 would possibly think we would have men demanding to have access to women's showers? Yet here we are in 2020, having people say that a man should be able to go into women's facilities just because he says he thinks he's a woman. Phyllis was truly a visionary for warning America of this impending disaster. Those are just a few quick examples of Phyllis Schlafly's visionary mind. Feminists tried to make it look like Phyllis was just making things up as she went along. They made it seem like Phyllis was arguing in bad faith. With the benefit of hindsight, we see a different story. Phyllis Schlafly knew exactly what she was talking about in the fight over our culture. Her writings and speeches are just as pertinent today as they were decades ago. That's why we, the Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, are dedicated to preserving her legacy. If you'd like to learn more about Phyllis, please get in touch with us at 314-721-1213, 314-721-1213, or email me directly at ed at com. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. These culturally relevant commentaries, along with videos, columns, and bulletins, are waiting for you at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Plus, you can find, follow, and share our work on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Visit ProAmericaReport.com. Get signed up for the daily email. You'll want to be there. Find out lots of more stuff there. ProAmericaReport.com. I, I promised earlier, in fact, I was over on a Periscope. If you want to have some fun, come over to Periscope. At Eagle Ed Martin is on Twitter. Periscope is their live streaming app. And I do some uh, talking over there with some folks that come on. And I was uh, reminding them and telling them I was going to talk about polls, polls, polls. But first, let me set this up for you. Um, I've been wondering for a long time when and if we would see some of the fake newsers, the fake newsers to start to hedge their bets because they've been publishing and, and talking about how Trump's lost ground in the polls and how bad this is. And I don't see any evidence of that. 
I'm talking about evidence like people changing their positions. I, I've ne- I mean, I don't think I'm living in a total bubble. Maybe I am, but I don't think so. I've never met someone who said, you know what gets me excited every morning is I get up and I think of Joe Biden as president. There's nobody like that. Just like there was nobody really excited about Hillary. She tried to get women excited for her and it didn't really work. But there's tons of people that are fired up for Trump. So I haven't seen the, 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 the barrage of polling data that's, that's quoted by all the fakers, the fake news. I haven't seen that or felt that. So I've been wondering, though, and I should have told you this to watch for it. I've been wondering, but I'm going to connect the dots for you. I've been wondering when the, some of the fakers, the fake news, would start to hedge their bets. Because... They got to know in their gut that there's a problem with Biden as their candidate. He's not strong enough. He's not charismatic. He's it's all these things. Well, in the last four days, and one thing I tell you is watch for patterns, watch for patterns. I've been coaching you on the patterns of the Wall Street Journal periodically running sort of uh, legitimate big name leaders who uh, soften, try to soften you and me about the Cold War with China. Uh, Richard Haas did one. Robert Zelnick did another columns where they say, oh, there's no second Cold War. I've been telling you that's the Wall Street Journal and the and the sort of big money trying to say, no, don't don't fight with China. We like the markets. And I've been coaching you on that. Here's another one in Politico.com, which leans left and center left, really. But and they try to be somewhat serious and report and it's useful. But I mean, you have to know and not trust it. But it's sort of useful. And so about four days ago, and I'll put both of these stories up, Politico ran a piece and it said, um, what maybe out there in the normal land, we're thinking about a landslide. And you're like, what? And the whole article, lengthy article, was a political reporter, or a couple of reporters, talking to uh, folks out in the states, Republicans and others, and saying to each other, yeah, um, maybe this isn't going to go the way we thought. Maybe Trump is going to win. And, and the, so you have some of these county chairs in certain key counties, and they're saying, yeah, I'm not seeing any loss of Trump enthusiasm. In fact, quite the opposite. And so this article, lengthy article, and you, when you read it, you thought, huh, that's counter to what Politico has been telling us. Politico has been coaching us that Trump's a you know, dead man walking. And I thought, OK, that's the beginning of their cover, their proverbial uh, uh, you know, journalistic tale so they can point back to these stories. Well, another one ran today. Another one ran today. And the one today is um, it says that um, and this is totally true also, but a political lengthy piece. And it says that uh, Trump has a point about the polls and it goes on and it's written by a guy named Stephen Shepard. And it says that Trump is saying that his polls, they don't make sense. It doesn't seem right. And they're underestimating it. And then the author says he has a point and he goes on to say that pollsters haven't figured out what's going on. In my experience on 20, in 2016, on election day, on the election day, I have been, I was in the election and I was there. Uh, I mean, excuse me, I was in New York for the election. I was doing interviews and I was constantly being barraged with this line. They were saying, oh, you're supporting Trump. He's getting killed in the polls. Your guy's going to lose. And my standard answer was this. It was a very simple answer. It was, you know, I'm from Missouri. I was chairman of the party and Missouri polling says he's going to win by four. I think he's going to win by a lot more than that. And he won by 19. And so my point here is that nothing, I don't think anything has changed. Uh, anything has changed dramatically. I don't think anything has shifted uh, to, to make you think much different about polling. But back to my point, the Politico is starting to cover their tale on what this means. 
In other words, they know. See, the media knows. The fake news knows. They actually know what's going on. They know that there's no enthusiasm for Biden. They know he's not able to communicate and hands up for the job. They know Trump's got this massive data machine. And they're, and they're desperately trying to find ways to drive down Trump. And they're doing what I've told you before that we have to do with each other on the economy and other things, which is a part of it is psychology. Be upbeat about what's happening because we know the good things that are possible and they start to happen. And if you be drumbeat negative on everything, that starts to fill in that starts to fill in who you are. And so that's what you're seeing. That's what you're um, uh, seeing and uh, and and paying attention to in uh, and when you see these stories on political, if you connect the dots. So w- wait for me to help you connect the dots. But when you do, you got to understand what's going on. That's the seeds of doubt. Those are the cracks in the mainstream media and the mainstream elites. Democrat plan to win this election. So uh, watch that. We'll talk again. We're going to talk tomorrow about their their threats about election success, uh, election problems and how real that could be in terms of uh, the uh, mail-in balloting and other things. We'll talk about that. All right. We got to run, though. Thank you for uh, paying attention to this important stuff. Go to ProAmericaReport.com to sign up. Thank you, as always, to Noah for his great work and Joanna for her great work. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you now.